This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, friends, to another edition of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, and joining me in studio today, as always, is our pastor of spiritual formation, Reverend Sam Kasten-Smith. And I'm going to tell you right up front, folks, Sam and I just spent hours talking about a podcast (laughs) that won't take anywhere near that long to record because today's passage... Man, we wrangled this one to death. <laughs> yeah. I, and and the, the funny part is, is that is that you were taking one particular point of view. I was taking a different one, which we'll get into as we talk about this. And yet we kept winding up at the same place mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how it was we kept winding up at the same place, even though we felt differently about it. That's the most interesting part of that whole conversation to me. Yeah. But I mean, it's true, because yeah. I think the nature of Christ, when you step back from it and you think, okay, where would Jesus, where would Jesus ultimately take this? You kind of—it's obvious that he leads to the same destination, so which we, comes out of humility. So really. we have to tell them what passage we're talking about. Dun we, dun 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 dun. We have come to the latter half of Ephesians chapter five, um, verse twenty-one reads: "Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ." We're talking about the subject of yeah. submission, and we've got three illustrations or three examples of submission here. We have husbands and wives, we have parents and children, and we have masters and servants. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we talked about, and I think we agree on this, right? We, we agree on this aspect that this passage is not about marriage, employments, and parenting. It's about Jesus and the church. Mm-hmm. I agree. So what they're so what Paul's telling us here is what Jesus has done for his church. Is yeah. that is and that so true? I mean it's kind of the the way that Paul does. He always teaches first the model of Jesus and how he's loved right. us and how he's you know done all these things for us, and then then Paul says, okay, now what do you do with that? So what we take from that is God gives us the model of Christ and His church as the ultimate thing, right. and from the ultimate thing, then we learn how husbands and wives live together, how masters and servants live together, how parents, parents and children yeah. live together. It all flows from the way that Christ loves his church. And loves his church and the things that he did for the church. Correct. I mean, they, you know, so the admonition for what, how we should live starts with first look to Christ in the church. Mm-hmm. Here's where we start. This is your model. Look at that. And now we'll talk about the application of that. You see this, you see what he's done mm-hmm. and what, now let's come that back is and the talk about your image. situation. That's, That's the perfect image. Right. And so we aspire to that image, to that kind of love, because that is the perfect love of a husband for his bride, and that is ultimately the perfect picture of the bride to the husband. And so every human marriage aspires to that. So the marriage portion, I actually said uh, 22 to 33, we're actually going to be going down through chapter 6, verse 9, because to get the parents in and the, and the uh, masters, masters and servants yeah. in, that's where we wind up. So, but the passage that we're looking at, the part of the passage we're looking at first is rather famously, <clears throat> wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And so before we even go further from that. <laughs> <laughs> Stop right there. So... 
Paul is actually that that the word the the statement wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord is actually a continuation of the previous verse. In fact, there's there's no verb there. It's just so. Let me, it would be if you go all the way back to verse eighteen. And this is kind of important, so hang with me. Mm-hmm. It's it's when Paul is talking about, you know, don't get drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Spirit. And then he includes four participial phrases. Right. So it's like, be filled with the Spirit. And then he lists four ways that you can be filled with the Spirit. So he's like, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's one. Mm-hmm. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. There's two giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's three, and then verse 21, he gets to the fourth, which is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then the literal Greek, it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives to their own husbands as to the Lord. There's no submit. It's just borrowing the verb of submit to one another. Which doesn't mean that it doesn't mean it's it's not that it's not implied. And mm-hmm. well, it is implied. But the point is, it doesn't mean it's not there. No, it's, yeah, in it's, it principle. means the same thing. Correct. But what I'm what I'm getting at is what is it ultimately pointing back to when it's talking about wives to your husbands being filled with the spirit? Correct. Yeah. That's that kind of changes things. And so what it's saying is this is not just a this isn't a practical marriage guide. This is worship. Yes. Like when you get to marriage, like we're talking about earlier, this is a picture of Christ in His church. That's the driving metaphor of all this that that fills everything with meaning and paul is saying if you're filled with the spirit then you're submitting to one another and it's like he pauses again when he gets to that fourth participial phrase Mm -hmm. submit to one another it's like he says okay let's pause here and we're going to go into all these different relationships where you see this playing out but all of this husbands to wives wives to husbands masters to servants servants to masters children to parents all of this is what it looks like to be filled with the spirit Right. It's it's driving back to that. Yeah. And I think that one of the reasons this passage is a little bit contentious is that there is such a thing as the patriarchy. Um it, I'm not going to I'm not going to talk about whether where it exists, but the patriarchy's out there where there are <laughs> there are men who want to boss women around and they've landed on things like this verse. Well, in Paul's day, this isn't out there. It's yes. everywhere. Yes. <laughs> you know, well, when that, Paul is writing this in the Roman world, it's absolutely patriarchal. Well, that, and that's what I was what I was kind of working my way to is <laughs> we have to start with the historical context and you've been doing a lot of research oh, onto when this came out, when this passage came out, this would have been the most controversial thing in that society. Why, why don't you kind of take us it's through? It's so fascinating to me because, <laughs> man, I'm t- like, we kind of, you know, we, we wince <laughs> in modern day culture when you read a verse that says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. You know, that, that is scandalous in, right. in modern day, right? This would have been scandalous in the ancient world for all different reasons. And and this is what I want to where I want to kind of park for a moment. In the ancient world, cuz like when it says wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, there's there's really one of two ways that you can take that, right? Mm-hmm. There's, you know, hey wives, submit to your husband as if he's the equivalent to the Lord. He's this, you know, wonderful, powerful figure that you owe all allegiance to and you bow before him. There's that way of of seeing this, submit to your husband as to the Lord. And then there's another way where it's like wives submit to your husbands out of submission to the Lord. It's like you do this not for him, 
but you do this for the Lord. And so where I'm going with this, if you went back into the ancient world, it was a no-brainer everywhere you went that women, wives, existed to serve their husbands. Their husbands were the reason why they were alive, really. They had such a negative view of women. And I kind of want to park here just so so the listeners mm-hmm. can kind of gain a feel of how the ancient world saw women. Because what we're going to find in here is that Paul and Jesus are such awesome protectors and defenders and liberators of women. And it's, it's really awesome. So, I'm, By the way, I'm glad about this because I've heard people say this. Paul was a misogynist. Yeah, no. You've heard it too, though. You've heard people say that. Totally, Paul's a misogynist. And as we were looking at this, I'm like, ooh, this is like the anti-misogyny. Yeah, no, he's coming to the defense of women. Yeah. And and the men would have not liked him so much. This will make sense in a moment. Yes. So let me give you some examples of things of that time that when I read them, I'm like, holy cow. Aristotle, right? He's one of these philosophers that we lift up and we think, oh, he's really brilliant. You know, he gets into the particulars and all that. Aristotle says this, the female is a female by virtue of a certain lack of qualities. We should regard the female nature as afflicted with a natural defectiveness. That's the prevailing. He's one of the, the exalting <laughs> philosophers of oh the day. So you get to Cato the Elder. Now, Cato the Elder was a, was a, was a philosopher of that day who is considered the moralist of his time. So this he, is the guy you look to for the best. So this is the, the guy who's, who's trying to lift up moral virtue. Okay. <laughs> woman is a violent and uncontrolled animal. Hmm. All righty. Plutarch, the greatest historian of the Roman world. A wife should have no feelings of her own, but share her husband's seriousness and sport, his anxiety, and his laughter. You get the idea. A woman has no value of her own. I read this article in the, in the New Yorker. It was talking about Ovid. Ovid lived... And the generation before Jesus would have been the most famous poet of Jesus's lifetime. Like sure. Ovid was a big deal during the life of Jesus. He had he just existed right before then. And so the New Yorker says this. And when you study Roman and, and Greek mythology, you start realizing this is really true. But the New Yorker writes on it. It says, Ovid's subject matter throughout the poem is seemingly endless stream of rapes and sexual crimes. Hades abducts Persephone. Zeus impregnates Leda. Apollo pursues Daphne, Zeus violates Europa. The effect of all these attacks feels totalizing, as if women exist to be abused. You look at the Roman and Greek mythology. Remember when Prometheus steals fire from the gods? Mm -hmm. What's the punishment? The creation of woman. Yeah. (laughs) Women are a punishment given to the man. And what does she do? She unleashes all the misery upon the earth. And even in the church, like this is kind of a, a bizarre one. In the early church, this ethic that Paul and Jesus have, have launched that's just amazingly beautiful, was at, the church had a hard time with it. And so centuries after Paul and Jesus, you have these guys that come and they create these forgeries that are called Gnostic Gospels, where they try to change to fit things that they, they were uncomfortable with right. some of the things in the Gospels or the Epistles. And so one of the more famous Gnostic Gospels is the Gospel of Thomas. Yes. Listen, <laughs> listen to what this says. Simon Peter, so this is a forgery, guys, forgery. Simon Peter said to them, Let Mariam go out from among us, for women are not worthy of the life. Jesus said, Look, I will lead her that I may make her male, in order that she too may become a living spirit resembling you males. For every woman who makes herself male 
will enter into the kingdom of heaven. So the idea is, this is even among people who were walking around going, you know, we're into this Jesus thing, but we're this, we're we Gnostics. Gotta, we got to do something about the women. <laughs> yeah, right. Women are so unworthy of being considered in the same breath as men mm. because the woman's role in all of life is to serve men. The women in the ancient world, prostitutes, actresses, barmaids, they couldn't prosecute a man for rape. Um, and here's a stunning story. This was the first time I ever came across just how backwards this particular time period was to women. It really angered me. And it has another famous voice that would have been really famous at the time of Jesus, uh, whose name is Cicero. So anyway, there's this public official. His name is Gnaeus Plantius, and he's nominated to serve in a public position. This is 54 BC, so we're talking within a century of Jesus. This guy gets nominated to a post, and a young girl comes forward and says, you know, he should not receive this post. And they go, okay, why? And she comes forward, goes to a trial where this guy is being, you know, publicly you know, investigated or whatever. Mm-hmm. She's not allowed in the courtroom. It's a confirmation hearing, basically. Pretty much, yeah. yeah okay. She comes forward. She's not allowed to go in the courtroom because she's a woman. And so she levels her charge, and she says, I was a 12-year-old actress in the city of Atina, and this man stirred up the crowd. They rushed to the stage. They violently attacked me and raped me. And you think, good grief. So at this public trial, Cicero is the man's defense attorney. And you're thinking, okay, what's the legal defense? It's not to disprove the allegation, but to simply say, that's it? Who cares? And so Cicero literally says this. He says, you say that he raped an actress and that this is alleged to have happened at Atina when he was in his early youth? What a well-behaved lad he must have been if the only imputation against him relates to a more or less harmless prank. Then he essentially justified the action and claimed that taking advantage of raping theatrical performers was, quote, a well-established tradition at staged events. And so this girl was sent home, and this guy went on to receive his post. And everywhere you read in ancient literature, unless you were a woman of great nobility, you had no worth. As a wife, as a woman, you existed to serve the man, mm-hmm. period, and so when Paul comes, and the Bible is filled with this, that we, we read right past, we don't understand the, the cultural context of what's going on there. And Paul comes and says, wives, submit to your husband. Nothing controversial there. That's what everybody did in the ancient world. That's the no-brainer. But then he adds, as to the Lord. Now, remember the two different ways you could look at that? One right. is you submit to him as a God. That's not what Paul is saying here. Because that's what they were being told to do Correct. now. That's what, that's what society said they should do. So what Paul is saying is, you don't submit to your husband because he's the, he's the penultimate meaning of your life. You submit to your husband to submit to the Lord who calls you. The Lord is the one that you seek to satisfy every bit as much as the man. Mm-hmm. And so... And then later, you want to talk. So the men would have been like, wait a minute, we're not the chief end of women. You know, it's, it, we're not the reason for their existence. And Paul is saying, no, no. Submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And then in a couple of verses, he's going to lay down a challenge that would have blown the Romans' minds wide open. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And that radically, radically changes the ways that Romans saw 
the institution of marriage, mm-hmm. the way that men saw the institution of marriage. You know, one of my favorite things, um, when the sad, you remember the Sadducees, they don't believe in resurrection, right? Right. That's why and, they're sad, you see. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I used to teach that. I it's, it's a, help, it's a helpful <laughs> it really memory is. hook. It works. It, uh, it does. The Sadducees don't believe in resurrection, so they're sad, sad you see. see? Yes. Um, so anyway, they come to Jesus, <laughs> and here's their question. They hinge, their, so they're challenging them on the resurrection and how ridiculous they think the resurrection is. And this is their logic. Suppose a woman has a husband, and the husband dies, and she remarries, and that husband dies, and she remarries, and that husband dies, and this goes on, and it happens seven times. Their question to Jesus is what? In the resurrection, whose wife? Yeah. Whose husband? Essentially, right. to whom does she belong? Right. Like, because she has to belong to someone. And what's <laughs> Jesus' answer? Said that there's not going to be giving in marriage, or uh, how did he put it? Yeah, there's neither. They will not be given men, men and women will, will not, not be, be given, given in marriage, marriage in heaven. Right. And what's the idea behind that? It's not. Oh, I don't get to see Lord. No, no my relationship with Lord is going to be even better than it is now. The idea is it's that it's going to be truly equal. She doesn't have to belong to. Yeah, anybody. she doesn't belong to anyone. Right. She belongs to me. And this passage is setting that ethic where it's like you can imagine Paul standing in front of all the women of that era, saying they don't exist to serve you anymore, men. They exist to submit to the Lord every bit as much as you do. And so now it's not about you. And women, your identity and your value does not exist in just submitting to these men and finding your meaning in men. It's unto the Lord. Mm-hmm. It's, it radically changes everything. And it would have driven those men crazy. Why don't we do this? Let's, let's, let's get the whole passage on the table here that we're talking about. We'll read through it. And then, because I want to come back. We talked a, we talked a lot about this question of what submission is and is not and that kind of thing and and the different viewpoints that which are which are sort of covered under the broad titles of complementarian and egalitarian and to talk a little bit about what that means because I, I really think it is a it is a hot button especially in today's um, churches religious circles that whole thing of are you a complementarian or are you an egalitarian right um, so I think that there's value in that but I'd like to for context to have the whole passage out there. Uh, we read, wife, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as christ does the church because we are members of his body Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So it's a, it's a long passage there that, that several times admonishes the husbands to, about their how to be loving their wives. And yet we still tend to, in any of these discussions, come back and park on the submission aspect of it. 
And as we talked about at length earlier before we turned on the recorders, um, you can't separate those two. You can't mm-hmm. separate the submission and the love because they're, it's, it's all based on that model of Christ. But there's a couple things I just want to kind of get out of the way just because I know that if there's, <laughs> if there's women listening to this, I know that um, they're gonna, their first thing is, I want to hear what you say. Do I have to do what my husband tells me to do? And the answer you're going to get from both Sam and I is that depends <laughs> because, because it really, it really does depend whether on what it is that we're talking about here. Um, because the fact of the matter is that if there's, if your husband has asked you to do something from a position of being loving and wise and, and caring and everything else, then we would say, well, certainly that's something you'd want to do. So what you're really asking is, if my husband asks me to do something I disagree with, do I have to do what he tells me to do? And again, it kind of comes down to this question of, well, what has he asked you to do? So one of the things that we do agree on, let's give, let's give him the list of things we do agree on. You and I agree, Sam, that this is never a covering for an abusive relationship. Absolutely not. If, a, if there is emotional, physical, verbal abuse going on in a relationship, the first thing that we say to any women in that situation is you need to be safe. Mm-hmm. You need to get yourself away from that. You need to be separated out of that situation so that you are safe. And we'll deal with everything on the other side. But the first thing you need to know is we're not telling any woman that she needs to remain in an abusive relationship and, and take the abuse because she's supposed to be submitting to her husband. Right. Okay, so that's absolutely the case. The other thing that we agree on is that this is talking about husbands and wives. It's talking about wives to their own husbands. This is not saying that women in general need to be submissive to men in general. Like, you know, well, my wife works at the grocery store as, a, you know, an accountant or whatever, and she has to submit to her boss. Well, yeah, because the boss is the boss. But that's how they look at it. They're yeah. like, okay, this doesn't. It's not mean like some random man has authority over you because exactly. he's a man. That's correct. This is not setting up some kind of gender thing where it's like all women everywhere in the world have to submit to all men everywhere in the world because that's what the Bible says. No, that's that's not what the Bible says. So we're 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 clear on that. But the the two main I guess positions from which people approach this passage: the complementarian and the egalitarian. Maybe can you explain what the difference is between those two? <laughs> no matter what definition I give, the people who are on that side are going to want to tweak it because there's different there's different brands of so, these. So what you're saying is we're done. We're 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 not gonna, we're in trouble just when we start here. Okay. Correct. Because any t- if I try to define egalitarian, there's going to be egalitarians out there who say, well, actually, let me nuance that a little bit. Okay. We'll give them the broadest possible definition. <laughs> trying to find where I wrote. Okay. So I, I kind of put together some thoughts in my head. A complementarian um, would believe, like the egalitarian, that husbands and wives carry equal dignity and value in the sight of God, but they would say that husbands are called to lead the home sacrificially as Christ leads the church to honor, to serve, to protect his wife and family, mm-hmm. um, and ultimately he serves as the head of the home. Where I would say an egalitarian, um, husbands and wives carry equal dignity and value, but also carry equal authority in the home. And they would say leadership is going to rest on a mutual recognition of each other's giftings rather than gender. Right. So the head is whoever's gifted there. Right. And just to let people know where we we are on this, you 
I'm complementarian. Yeah, and I would say that I'm an egalitarian. Yeah. I would say that I believe that I should recognize the gifts that my wife has and that leadership within That's the home. That's not different from me. It, well, see, Here this we is go where, again. This is where we kept getting. <laughs> Folks, we did this for three hours or something like that, and we kept winding up back at the same place. All right, so let's talk in circles okay. publicly now. Okay. Good grief. <laughs> so a complementarian. Let me, let me tell you what I cannot stand is when I find somebody who claims to be a complementarian who says, I believe that wives should submit to the husbands, and you know, I'm like the Lord in the relationship, and so whatever I say goes, right? Because in the complementarian model, you have verse 25 that comes along that says, husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church, and we're quick to say, well, what does that mean? How do I, how, so my wife is my wife Laura. How do I love her as Christ loves the church? Well, one, I sacrifice, right? I serve. I, I come alongside. I protect. I provide. I do all those things. But then, in addition to that, one of the things that you never hear or rarely hear complementarians talk about is something that Ephesians makes a big deal of, right? You know, in Ephesians 2, one of the great, beautiful things is, it, and it's talking past tense, that Christ has no, not only raised us, but he has seated us with him in the heavenly places, in heavenly seats. And all throughout the Bible, you find this. And in, in, in Paul's letter to Timothy in Revelation, you find that God calls his church to reign alongside of him, right? Mm-hmm. So you know we we're going to judge the angels he invites us to do that we're going to we're going to have power we're going to have authority and so christ gives the church authority to reign with him so in a complementarian view it's not that i look at my wife's giftings and say oops oh, too bad she's female no <laughs> <laughs> it's too bad she's female okay. you know but that's that's the abusive extreme of it well right. look at all those gifts you have it's too bad no Absolutely not. If you love your wife as Christ loves the church, then what you do is you identify. What does Jesus do? In Ephesians, we talked about this. He gives spiritual gifts, right? And then he calls on the church to use them. Right. So as a complementarian husband, what I'm doing is looking in my home in discussion with my wife, where are we gifted? Mm -hmm. How can we be best together? And then I'm entrusting her to run and and reign in my home with mm-hmm. me in the areas that she's gifted. Mm-hmm. Boy, I tell you what, this, we, we did talk about this for a long time. <laughs> we talked about this for a long time. We threw up every kind of hypothetical. Send all hate mail to Mark Lottenschlager. Thank you very much. <laughs> we, we threw out every hypothetical situation that we could find. And in most cases, even though I'm coming to the, I was coming from the perspective of, the husband and the wife have, in my opinion, they have an equal authority. You know, she, she's as much of a decision maker as he is. Mm-hmm. We kept coming to the same conclusion time and time again. We threw up a situa- we threw up a, a hypothetical where the, uh, the, the husband wanted to send the kids to one school and she wanted to send the other school and there was a, there were, it was a matter of faith. One school was an evangelical school and the other school was not and, and the, and, you know, which would be better for the kids. And we, we went through all these different things and we kept landing on the same, spot with one exception i said i did not believe that a wife was being biblically compelled by this passage to go along with or to obey Mm -hmm. an unwise decision by her husband 
And the example that we finally landed on, one that we could work with for that, was you know we had this husband. You know, well, I don't we don't want to give a name. The husband we we had some names we made up, and y'all can wonder whether we were talking about you or not. Um, but we had this husband out there. He decided he wanted to buy a new car. And the wife, who is, you know, she's better with the finances. She's more gifted in the finance and everything else. Um, she's got a, a sense of where we are financially. And she's like, we don't need a new car right now. The old car's fine. It, it's running good. We don't need to take on more debt. And the husband, for selfish reasons, we're make, we, we set him up to be a bad guy. It's an unwise decision, mm-hmm. remember? Um, the, you know, he's like, well, Bob's got a new car and Tom's got a new car and Dave's got a new car and I want a new car. And so, but the wife needed to sign the loan documents and the husband and the wife can't agree. You know, she won't sign the document, Pastor Sam, you know? And so we were, we brought this couple in for hypothetical counseling here. And I don't want to get put words in anybody's mouth. I said that I would say to the wife, you don't have to sign that. And you said, I said that I would pull the husband into my office right. and read him the riot act you for would. being stupid. And, but if the husband, but, but if, if the husband said, "I don't care that I'm stupid, I want the new car," what would you say to the wife? I would counsel her to, to submit and okay. l- leave it with him. Right. So you say that this is a now we we allowed for we allowed for a broad range of things. The fact is that if the wife knew, for example that taking on that debt was going to make it so they couldn't feed the kids or they were yeah. going to lose their mortgage. Right? If it's sinfully unwise, correct, then you're out. You're absolutely out. do not sign that. Absolutely. Because you remember, you're submitting unto the Lord. And if the Lord would object to you denying your children food or driving you into crippling debt or whatever right. the case might be, and those situations where it's become sinful, then your obligation obviously right. rests with the Lord. So we, we did agree that if the unwise decision was one that would have really bad consequences yeah. if it's a preference issue right this is a situation where they and i said okay they could afford the payments mm-hmm. it's just an unwise use of their money you know instead of putting it into retirement or whatever they don't need a new car it's a want versus a need but they could afford the payments yeah. and the husband was like i think we should buy a new car but he See, couldn't i would send them out of my office <laughs> having chastised the man but encouraging the woman to submit and to leave this with the man, like, right? Mark would send them out of his office still fighting like cats and dogs. <laughs> you know what? Here's the difference. I would have sent them out, of, you know, there's not, now mind you, there's Pastor Sam and just regular guy Mark. But if I was Pastor Mark, I would have said the same thing. I would have counseled the man, don't be stupid. And then I would have told the wife, if he keeps being stupid, you don't have to sign a loan document yeah. that's not, and, that and you so, don't want to sign. So one of the premises, one of the reasons why both of us would have pulled the man aside and said, you idiot. Yes. You know. That was first on both our hit lists. We're going we're to take the husband down the hall and have a chat with him. So, so let's go back to verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. You know, Christ comes into this world bearing all authority. Like he says, could I not call on legions of angels? You know, like he's got tons of authority. But one of the things that you never, ever, ever see Jesus doing is using that authority selfishly. That is Absolutely correct. And so, never once. Never. And so what Jesus is not going to do is come to his bride where nothing's at stake. There's no great moral or spiritual compromise going on. And to say, you know what? Because I have authority, I don't care what you say. I'm getting the car. Right. <laughs> you know, that's, he just doesn't do that. He doesn't. I mean, he's got all this miraculous power. I challenge you to, to name one time where he uses his miraculous power for personal advantage 
without helping somebody or teaching them something about the gospel. He doesn't do it. Right. You know, he'll feed 5,000 people with bread and fish. He will not turn stones to bread when it's just him hungry. Right. He does not do it. Right. And so the husband in this model is never to use that authority as a trump card to get his way on petty things. But if he did, that's, then, the, that's, the, un, that's, that's the question that's going to that lay out there. That is the uncomfortable thing. And it's not abusive, one. Right. It's not abusive. It's not sinful. And it's not sinfully unwise. Then the wife is to submit. I mean, and it says in this passage, it's it's uncomfortable. I don't like defending this, by the way. <laughs> well, and, but I'm and, saying, wives submit to your husbands in everything, right? And all of these things, like, well, it, but okay, but it said prior to that, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So mm-hmm, submit sure. as you're submitting to the Lord, you would submit to your husband. And so when it says in everything, I'm also putting the context Absolutely. there of saying as you would to the Lord, correct? You know, and and so. The Lord isn't going to buy a car when you can't afford one. You know, like you say, Jesus doesn't turn the stones into bread when it's just him that's hungry. Correct. So to me, there's a kind of a, a presupposition here that when there's something going on between the husband and the wife, decisions being made, that the wife should be able to see the husband making a decision that is the kind of decision that Jesus would have made with respect to the church. And if he's not doing that, that's the uncomfortable spot. Mm-hmm. I don't... I don't believe that there's something here as i look at this i'm like there's a there's a presupposition that the husband is behaving in the way that christ was for the church and if he's not doing that then i don't but then so so this gets back to this and this is where this conversation gets uncomfortable yes (laughs) if we say that she only has to submit when she agrees with the wisdom then she's not submitting there's no such thing as submission. If I only have to submit when I agree, what am I submitting to? I'm agreeing to my own opinion. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, that is a good point. <laughs> then, then submission flies out the window. Right. I think that I think there's an understanding here that, yes, submission means that she's going to follow or go along with, follow the, follow mm-hmm. the leadership or follow the decision making. So, yeah, there's obviously, something, there's obviously something involved there. But there's also this idea that... Um, a difference of opinion versus wise and unwise. And I think that, that this is the gray area. Like, if I say to you, because we had another scenario where there was a difference of opinion. We talked about you getting a ministry call somewhere yeah. and your wife deciding that she didn't want to move. And I'm like, that's not a situation. This is what I deal with, folks. That's not a situation, <laughs> what, me, of me becoming How a hypothetical? How many of these scenarios? Oh, my P- goodness. Penning me down. I, I, was, I was hammering from all directions. Like, well, what about this? What if she had a bunch of good reasons for what? You know, so we, we were doing these hypotheticals uh, because I'm trying to understand. Try, honestly, what I'm trying to do is because we kept landing on the same spot so mm-hmm. many times that I kept trying to understand what the real difference was between the decisions. And it kind of comes down to, in the end, I was saying that if this decision was the wife's going to go, that's stupid. I'm going to go, well, you don't have to do something stupid. And you were like, mm, yeah, you have to do something stupid. Mm-hmm. If it's not contrary to the Lord. Right. And, and again, I really do shade that way. I'm like, but you know, my own, I've been married a long time. You've been married a long time. We both married successfully far above our station in life in terms of w- women that are wise mm-hmm and intelligent and whom we have a great deal of respect for. And we were talking about this beforehand is that if you were in a situation where you had made a decision that Laura disagreed with, you believed that Laura would submit to your decision-making because Mm -hmm. she's committed to making that decision. Mm -hmm. She 
previously committed to being right. Well, how did you put it? She she made that choice when she married you or something so, like so that. So I'd say the difference between um and, and this isn't always true, but I would say with an egalitarian, you know, like if if you're the husband and you have cultivated years of trust, right? Because and that's what I was saying is that I thought my wife would go along with yeah. me also because you she's learned your to wife trust me. On, a, on an issue where it's, you know, you had a strong opinion. You felt right. like she would, she would bend and yield because she's learned to trust you. She knows right. your heart. She, she knows that you care for her, love her, are going to protect her. You have, right. you know, a design, you love Christ. Um, Whereas for me and Laura, she saw that commitment at the moment of I do. Like when we got married, she was pledging from that point on, okay, I know Sam. I know his heart for the Lord. I'm from this point on, I'm agreeing that he is going to be the the head of the relationship, right? That's the biblical language, not my language. Right. And I'm going to submit from this point on but i trust him and this is where all of this ends up going back to the husband and if you've got a jerk or an idiot of a husband it makes this really 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 difficult because he'll he will try to use his authority for everything petty and one of the things that we talked about is Mm -hmm. in the vast vast majority of things like i i was talking with my wife and and you too you know and our 12, almost 13 years, like we got an anniversary coming this week, almost 13 years of marriage. Have you, can you remember a time when I've, you know, pulled the man card and said, you know, I disagree, right. we're going to go my way? And she's like, no. Right. And, you know, I'm not, not to pat myself on the back, but I have learned that she's really, really incredibly capable. She's never put our family or herself or me in any moral or spiritual danger. Right. To where I would feel like I've got to step up and do that. But one of the things I don't want to do is to just walk around and say, well, I'm the man. I'm getting my way. That is a violation of this passage. And if you're acting like that as a man, you are not. You're actually defaming Jesus when when you act that way. And let me explain what I mean. Jesus is saying, you husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And if you go around as a Christian and you treat your tr- your wife like trash, like a servant, like she's just there for your beck and call and you always get your way, you are insinuating that that is how Jesus treats you. You're, you're attributing your treatment of your wife to him, and that's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Like that's almost blasphemous yeah. in some sense. Like the calling of being a husband is really high, and right. the way you treat your wife exalts Christ. Yeah, and and or not. I mean, and and we've been married thirty four or be thirty five years this year. Um, come coming up in twenty twenty. Thirty five, yeah, thirty five. Wow, my goodness, that's I'm, I'm old. Okay, Thirteen, so 30, 35. and um, and so I've got a longer stretch of experience. And what I said to you was that um, if my wife and I disagreed with something, that my perspective is this: I respect her intelligence and I respect mm-hmm. her wisdom. And if I came to my wife and said, Tracy, I think we should do this. And I lay the whole thing out. And she goes, I don't think so. <laughs> All right. My first thought my, is my not, money's on Tracy. Yeah. And the wisdom category. <laughs> Probably true. <laughs> but see, here's the thing. My first thought would not be woman. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. My first thought would be something's wrong with my decision. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, I agree. I, I've missed something here. And I immediately would walk it back and say, well, let's look at this again. 
And we have never in 35 years had a situation where one of us has been that dead set against the other. Eventually, one of us, one side or the other, in any decision we've had to make, has said, well, you know, you you feel very strongly about this. And, and I can see, you know, it's just kind of come down to generally the person that has had the strongest opinion. I mean, if she's just really dead set against something, I would not override her. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the question is, is that I guess the difference is you would say the same thing. If Laura felt really strong, you would not override her. Okay. Now you do that because you respect Laura's wisdom and intelligence. Mm -hmm. I do the same thing with Tracy for the same reason. The difference is you would say, I don't play the man card. And I would say I don't have a man card to play. Yeah. So there's the difference. This it kept coming. Man card is such an it's ugly way to put that. It is terrible. It and, sounds and, anybody. It's but you not. And, you and I kept coming to the same conclusion every time we were behaving the same way in all these different scenarios. But the the question just came down to you were withholding being a jerk, and <laughs> I was saying I don't have the right to be a jerk. Is the is I guess what we kind of came down to in our scenarios. <clears throat> Am I putting words in your mouth? Well, boy, he looks so uncomfortable. <laughs> I have never seen that expression on your face. Um, this is the best podcast ever. So, so here's where what I'm saying. So, like, it's not so much I'm withholding being a jerk, right? Okay. It's that, and the way that I see Ephesians 5 laid out, okay. when God says that I am to love my wife as Christ loves the church, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that being the model, when Christ sees his bride heading for error, he intervenes. He's that, not playing the jerk card. That's, that's true. He's not playing. That's true. He's, he's, he loves you. Right. And ultimately... He says that he does so out of submission to his father, right? right? And so at some point, if and my wife loves Jesus. She's right. really brilliant. She's wise. She makes good decisions. I've never had to intervene out of fear of protecting my wife or family from a decision that she's making because she's pretty amazing, right? And, right. But in the off case, you know, she got hit by a brick falling off a building and changed, and she decided that she wanted to do things that were reckless with our family. Mm-hmm. It is my obligation and the scriptures to be the head of the household to protect her to protect my family and i will be held accountable for right. that as the head right and and so that's what i'm saying and 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 here's the thing i would gr- i would agree with that and i would do the same thing because i above you're all i want to protect don't have I want to protect to my wife and I want to protect my children. But see, you gave but a, you're only saying you're you, going to protect her if she agrees to be protected. You, you threw out, you changed the scenario now, again. Now he you looks had, uncomfortable. He's, he's squirming. You, you changed the scenario again. You had this brick come down and suddenly she's making unwise decisions. Well, I don't and have to ever protect or intervene which or whatever. Is why this because, conversation was so hard for you and I, because both of us are like, our wife would never do anything yeah, like our that. Our wives are just, smarter than we are. Exactly. So. And we know that about them. And therefore, when they contradict us, we're like, okay, what's yeah, wrong something's with wrong. us? Something's wrong. What did we do? Warning. I'm telling you, folks, this, it, I'm not saying that we've never had a different difference of opinion tracy and i in our marriage it's just that when that's happened i thought "Uh oh yeah i've done something wrong i'm not thinking about this correctly and i've walked back to look at it again and eventually Mm -hmm. we have each of us compromising in some respects we have reached a decision together Mm -hmm. and you've done exactly the same thing 
Yeah, in your and, marriage, and and yet you're saying, if so, again, to some extent, the complementarian and the egalitarian at this table are saying we've always ended up in the same place, mm-hmm. really for the same and, reasons and in the same way. And I can tell you, in a submissive way, in a very gracious way, Laura has done that for me. Mm-hmm. Like I, I can, I can't remember times where I've had to intervene and kind of step in front of her and go, whoa, 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 this is a bad idea. I don't think we can't go this way. Right. But I can think of several times where she has gotten in front of me when I've gotten angry at someone or been, you know, furious about some injustice or something. And I was about to open my mouth and step in it with, you know, wanting to defend someone or something. Mm -hmm. And she has stepped in front of me and said, please stop for a moment. This is not a good path to walk down. Mm -hmm. And she's been right. Every one of those times. And so, you know, and the complementarian view, like you remember, it's, the initial command before Paul starts unpacking this is you're submitting to one another, right? right? So there is That's correct. There's a very real sense that when my wife steps in front of me and goes, I don't think this is wise, the biblical command is I need to stop like you're talking about and go, man, she's wise. She loves me. Right. What do I see here? Right. And then together we come, come to it. But ultimately at the end of the day where we differ is I do believe that the husband is responsible for the home as the head, not and it's not it ultimately comes to him and you're saying you do it as a pair co-equal I, I would say that but i would also say that that in terms of like spiritual leadership for example i think that i've taken that role and that my wife has wanted me to take that role and that i and but do you believe that that's biblically be, yours yes yeah i said why i do but i don't what think what if that, she said i i want that role no, yeah, there's no, you're changing the situation out of me. But no, <laughs> he's squirming again. I, I am, I, I am. I, you know, I think that she has every right to be as influential spiritually in the house totally. as as I do. Amen. Um, so maybe we're kind of at the same place again because <laughs> what do you? Okay, because not every time we've done this, folks, we've had to come back and start defining our terms. Like, what do we mean by spiritual leadership? Mm-hmm. Well, some of that has been in in our case is just a matter of I've been the initiator of things in terms of of some of the spiritual stuff, but I know that a lot of that was been because she's been back there praying for me. Mm-hmm. There have been times. And, and I, I hope my wife doesn't mind me telling some of these stories, but there have been times where we've sat down and I've said, listen, I've been thinking about something and I think this is the, what we should do. And I've told, I've, or this is what I, I, this is the choice I've made about myself or something about us. And she's been like almost weeping and said, mm. I have been praying <laughs> this same story here for that, for you to see that and make that choice. And I'm like, you know, that's yep. what she's done is she has prayed for me to have wisdom. And when the wisdom has shown up, it's like, I fully, I'm like, okay, well you just keep praying for me then because obviously God's listening to those prayers more mm-hmm. than, more than the wisdom of my head is carrying me. Um, yeah. There's, and when we do premarital counseling, one of the conversations, because when I, whenever I'm asked to do premarital counseling, I always try to involve Laura as much as she's able and willing because right. she's amazing with premarital counseling. But one of the ways, when, when you get into a marriage, it's not a covenant of two. It's a covenant of three, mm-hmm. right? The Lord right. is in this union. He is the third one. 100% and agree. And so, so where I would, be, I would say, you know, that, that as the wife submits to the husband, I'm submitting to the third person in our marriage, right? Right. To the Lord. And so one of the, one of the counsels that we give is when you have an issue 
with the other person, you know, and Laura's wonderful at this, rather than coming to me and harping on my failures, she goes to the one who's in authority over me, mm-hmm. right, and asks him to turn my heart. And it's amazing how often her leaning on the third person into our marriage to whom we both submit right. changes the whole dynamic of our marriage. We're not bickering at one another, you know, and, and, it's, and now it's she, trusting him to lead us both. And, and in both of these scenarios, neither one of our wives said, fine, I'm going to go talk to your boss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't yeah, happen right. in either case. No shaming. No shaming. You know, but, so, you know, again, we just, really as, we, as we've gone through this, it's been, we keep coming back to a lot of the same spots. Gosh. And here's, this, here's the thing that we can't, here's the one thing that we can't agree on is that there's nothing about this passage in scripture that allows men to lord it over their wives and be jerks and, 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 and be in any way, you know, it's like, this is not, this is not the idiot card. This is not, if, okay. If well, you are doing that, you are not in submission to the third person in your right, marriage. Right. You know, and, and I have told, you know, I haven't, I, don't do the kind of premarital counseling that you do, but there have been times when I get asked, just because we've been married for a long time mm-hmm. and we get along really well, mm-hmm. people are people see the two of us interact with each other and they're like, wow, you guys seem to still like each other. I'm like, yeah, she's my best friend. We like each other. You have Outback staff saying they want to be married like That's you. That's true, actually. They've said, <laughs> I want to have a marriage just like you guys, you know, because uh, we apparently spend a lot of time at Outback. Um, but the, the point is that, you know, I've said, to several people that have said, what's the secret? I'm like, well, you know what? Here's the thing. We've had rough spots. We have had rough patches. We did marital counseling early on because I was being an idiot. We did. We had some rough patches in the mid years and um, we've been okay since the double digit years, but there were some rough ones in those single digit years. And, um, and I'll tell you that the thing that really carried us through for both of us is that we believe that ultimately each of us is responsible equally for following the Lord. And that if we're following him, that the marriage thing is going to work itself out. And that's been the case so far. Now, see, Sam's nodding uncomfortably here because... No, no, no. But, I'm, I'm thinking through the implications but of that because I absolutely agree that Laura follows the Lord. She doesn't follow the Lord through me. No. I, and I don't follow the Lord through, through her. her. But as the one flesh dynamic of the home, I'm accountable. That's... That's where so I would say my, the difference. So now it's my turn. You know, we came out of these shows where we kept looking up into space or <laughs> like, I'm evaluating what the other guy has said and, and do I really object to that? It's just, you know, I, I'm just... We're both uh, afraid of how this can allow exploitation. Yes. And but, I will tell you that I am so, so against that you too. cannot imagine. And so let me tell you, when I think of marriage, what is so beautiful about it you know, in this life, there's so many pressures. There's so many things that come against you. There's rarely any place where you can feel truly safe or known or loved, you know, like you are with the Lord. And mm-hmm. the marriage gives you this one person, a husband or a wife, where you have the the comfort of knowing that that person knows all your flaws. They see they see your spiritual nakedness, your moral failures, like mm-hmm. you're vulnerable in every single way in front of them. And when you cultivate a marriage where you know that you're safe with them, with all your flaws, all your mess-ups, they are a sanctuary in this world for you. 
And you have cultivated that to where that other person knows that they're loved, that despite all their faults, that nothing is going to drive you away. You know, it's that is that kind of Christ in his church. There's nothing where he'll leave us or forsake us. Right. There's a freedom and a beauty that goes into that where I can, you know, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. So when I'm a mess, I can go to him and I know he's not going to turn me away. I know he's not going to shame me. I know he's not going to drive me into the dirt with his, you know, list. That is kind of the ethic to where I see this. Like, I don't want to use that authority that Christ has given to me, or I believe, to make my wife feel lesser than. I want to use that authority every which way I know how to lift her up and make her feel precious and to co-reign, like to know that she's safe. And when you have a jerk that uses that authority for petty things and to make her feel lesser than and that she exists to serve his every need. That's not a sanctuary. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not beautiful. And it looks nothing like Christ in his church. I want you to know, I don't disagree with anything that you just said. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, there's a, I might say that I might not use the words I'm using this authority, but the yeah, behavior, just, but the behavior that I would describe, and the, and and absolutely agree with you about the nature of a marriage relationship. The one person in this world that I know is going to have my back is my wife, and she knows the same thing about me mm-hmm. to her. That I'm That's the awesome. I'm the one person in the world that will. I'm always on her side. I you know it's like she's you know, and that's one of the things that astonishes me is how many married couples I see where the husband or the wife, one of, one of the two is being, it's like being critical of the other person. Yeah, bad mouthing them publicly. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so let's have a little chat about, you're going to need the number of a divorce lawyer at some point, you know, you, you just want to stop that and say, I, there was, there were three pieces of advice. I used to get like a little canned thing. People would say, well, what's the secret to a long and happy marriage? And I had to think about it a little bit, and I would say, all right, so here's, here's my secret. First is, marriage is not 50-50. If you think that marriage is 50-50, we divide it, divorce is 50-50. Marriage <laughs> is 100-100. Yeah. Each person is all in, yep. everything for the other, all the time. It's 100-100. And if you're not that way, you need to get that way, because 50-50 is how you divide up the possessions you know, when you're over. And the second thing is that I would say that I never wanted to hear, I'm not doing this because they're not doing that. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the other secret is that I'm not going to let my, you know, what I'm told to do and called to do and and supposed to do, I need to do that no matter what they're being like. All right. And then the last thing is that I said, I am always on her side. So that was like one of the three pillars was don't be, don't be you know, going behind and, and, and attacking yeah. her, you know, it's like, that's just, that's crazy. And yet you see that so much. And it was something that, that we did, Tracy and I used to do, 
when we uh, this is going back to the 1990s so again we're back in the single digit years the single digit years were not good years we're right, <laughs> right close around that time um, we would go out I was working in those days as the regional PC coordinator for DHL Express and the Latin America business region so it sounds like a very important title I worked on computers at the DHL headquarters up in Fort Lauderdale but so um, I had a fancy title and, and I guess I did I worked with people from the different countries and helped them set up networks and stuff like that so it was an important job but there was the Crown Sterling Hotel was right next to the building where uh, we went. And after work, um, I and my co-workers would go hang out there at the bar and have a few drinks and sit around and talk just after work as co-workers and friends do. Mm-hmm. And what was different about me was that, um, and I guess, I, I don't remember any other guys ever doing this, occasionally maybe, but I would always call Tracy because we didn't have kids in those days. I would call Tracy and say, hey, come on over. So she'd come over and join me and hang out with me there with my friends. And sometimes if we hung out too long and maybe had a beer or two too many, we'd get a room in the hotel and just stay over. Because, again, no kids. These were the footloose fancy free days. (laughs) All right. So we used to. As a father of four, let me just say. (sighs) We we stopped that. We eventually had kids that are now growing out of the house because we stopped (laughs) at two instead of doing the four thing. But, But one of the things that we noticed was that. We would take pot shots at each other in the in the in hum- we were being funny. We were making yeah. jokes, and everybody would laugh. And we would take the pot shots at each other, but it was really kind of biting humor. We were going after each other in front of the people there in the context of I'm making fun of mm-hmm. this, this telling a joke or being funny. And both of us became uncomfortable with it and started talking to each other about it. And both of us see here's my egalitarian whatever I don't know it's not egalitarian in this case just two people that love each other and are smart mm-hmm. we said we got to stop this and we did we simply stopped it we're still learning that lesson in the cast and spent home <laughs> <laughs> I, I like sarcastic humor and Laura will often say stop now you're going to convince yourself that you're actually upset yes <laughs> you know yeah where I make a joking comment and before you know it it's the mood has changed. That yeah. kind of biting humor is—it's yeah. it really so maybe it kind of self fulfilling. So maybe this table has four legs. There's a there's a no biting humor <laughs> leg to the to the table here, but it is something that uh, and I and I we may find that this really is because as you as you say to me, hey Mark, do you see yourself as the spiritual head of the family? I would say yes. I see myself as the spiritual leader. Of the family. So you're complementarian. So, but I believe that it's not an authority that I've been given to rule and lord over and, and tell, you know, make this and make de- and set decrees and, and that kind of stuff that I lead and that they trust me and they follow. And see, now you're nodding. So I, again, and, and because you would say that as a complementarian, you lead and your wife trusts you and she follows mm-hmm. and and that's the same thing that happens only i would say but she would say she made that decision when we said i do and i don't i'm not going to put words in my wife's mouth i was recalling a conversation and this is kind of i we'll see if we ever get our wives actually on it we, we were talking about well, doing that for I, this episode i talked to my wife about that and she said she would be more comfortable if she could hear the podcast hear what we had to say and then she would be willing to come on a podcast later to revisit this subject interesting and talk and she would like to have laura on too yes and i think that it would be interesting if we had a follow-up down the road with our wives in here after they've heard what we said here so that they could contribute their their perspective 
But before my wife and I got married, low those many years ago, we were sitting on the pool deck behind the, her parents had a pool at their house in Wilton Manor. We were sitting out there by the pool just talking because we, we, you know, this is post-engagement and, and I'm thinking of questions and issues. And <laughs> yes, like things you bring up. And one of the things we talked about was Ephesians 5, to 25 down here, these, these verses. And as we were talking about it, we were going back and forth and we were both allowing us how she's like, I can't imagine that you would ever, you know, overrule or over. I'm like, I wouldn't, you know, I said, but, but what if, mm-hmm. you know, what if, what if it came down to the point where it was a decision that it wasn't, you know, because you can trust that I would never make a decision that would hurt you or our, our family. And I would trust the same thing about you. But what if there wasn't that? Mm-hmm. What if it was all absent impasse. that? What if it's just an impasse about a decision and what, what would you do? And she goes, I would, I would go along with what you decided. So we had that conversation before we got married, but so I guess you're complementarians. Okay. <laughs> but what I believe is that she's made the choice and that she continually makes that choice. She's not bound herself into some kind of contract where if I'd start becoming no, I a, a jerk that she doesn't have the right to pull back and go, you're being a jerk. And some of it is, and I'll just be, I'll be honest, look, coming from the indie fundy church background that I did, I want to be clear, there's a lot of pastors out there and a lot of Christian men out there who do not understand this in a loving and gracious way. I have no problem with anything that you've said here today. Nothing that you have said has made me worry that I need to go talk to Laura and make sure she's okay. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> but there are pastors and Christian men out there where I have heard them with my own ears say to women that, you know, honey, you just have to put up with that. Meaning that there was an abusive situation. Maybe he wasn't punching her, but man, it was the, 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 the marriage was a total hell and she was supposed to stay there and take it because a woman was called to submit to her husband. I've also heard elders, pastors and elders telling single women, this is the, and you were rolling your eyes at this before, but I've heard it in some churches um, they're thankfully not Presbyterian PCA churches, but in some churches where they've told single women in their congregation that they need to find a man that they can submit to, that women biologically must submit to the men biologically or something out there. It's insane, in my opinion. That's insane. And so because there have been these abuses, in my experience, I very strongly push back against anything that smacks at all of the guy is going to play the man card and be a jerk. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just like, I'm ready to run him over and, with a bulldozer. And that is when you come to these passages, you know, it, it, for me, it's really important. Like, this made me really love Paul because essentially what he's doing in this passage is he's standing in front of a culture where this is rampant, where women are seen as valueless, right? Right. And, except for what they can give to the man. That has helped and, me a lot, by the way. And that Paul, you know. man, he says... Hey, husbands, your wife does not exist to serve you. Amen. You exist to lay your life down for her. Amen. Like, imagine how the Roman world heard that. That's crazy. Crazy. You know, one of my favorite stories in the gospel, and I recently changed. If if that's complimentarian, Sam, I'm in. (laughs) Just saying. But one of my favorite stories in the gospel is, and, and I think we misteach it. But there's there's the story of Jesus when he meets the woman at the well in John four, mm-hmm. and you know they're talking, and he sh- it's, it's kind of crazy that he's talking to a woman back in this day and age, right. scandalous, and not to mention she's a Samaritan, which is doubly scandalous, right? And 
they have this conversation. He shows her dignity. He's talking about how the father seeks to for people like her to worship mm-hmm. him, you know, in spirit and truth. Never mind going to Jerusalem, um, but in spirit and truth. And then he gets to this moment where he calls out her past and he says, you know, why don't, why don't you bring your husband to me? And you're going, okay, where's he going with this? She says, I don't, I don't, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You've had five husbands and the man that you're living with now is not your own. And there's a, there's a, a, the reality back in that culture is divorce laws were almost impossible for women, but they were willy-nilly for men. So if you got tired of your wife, you didn't like her cooking, she lost it, she didn't look good anymore, you could just divorce her. And so I've always heard that story, and I've imagined that this is a woman who goes out and cheats on her husbands all the time. The reality behind that story is it's way more likely, given the historical context, that she has been forsaken again and again and again by husbands who have failed her, who right. said, you don't meet my needs, get out. And so now... She's gone through five that have walked away from her. She's now living with a guy who's taking advantage of her. And here she's standing, talking to Jesus at a well, which sovereignly is so beautiful because in the Old Testament, all the major figures found their brides at wells. Isaac's wife was found at a well. Jacob found his wife at a well. Moses found his wife at a well. And now here's Jesus with this shameful adulterous woman who's been forsaken again and again and again and again. And the disciples can't figure out why in the world he would reduce himself to show dignity to a woman like this. And what he's saying is, I'll take the shame, but I want you to know I will never, ever, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. I'm taking all your shame. I'm taking all your sin. I'm elevating you. I'm giving you dignity. I'm going to stand against the way the world looks at you. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to protect you. That is what the New Testament does, is it stands in front of a culture that saw women as nothing more than a commodity that helped to serve the needs of men. And Jesus is saying, no more. You may not divorce them and leave them vulnerable anymore. And if you're the kind of man who does that, you may not serve in leadership in a church. You may not, you know, and it's like they're standing in front of women that are being abused all over the place. And when the New Testament gets accused of being misogynistic, it's like, no, you've missed it. It is looking at a world that treats women like garbage. And Jesus and Paul are saying, hell no. Mm -hmm. You owe them better. You owe them your life. Right. So the clock on the wall tells us that we, <laughs> we've gone on as long as we can go, uh, and we're actually, uh, it says we, we did not get to the subject of parenting, the subject of, of masters and servants or employment in a modern context, and I think that what we really need to do to do those properly is to do an episode in which we talk about each of those, because yeah, believe me, when we bring up parenting, that's <laughs> going to be another long conversation. You know, because I have a lot of thoughts about parenting. Yeah. You have a lot of thoughts about parenting. So um, I really want to just let that, you know, let that stand as our last word and reassure people that we're going to come back to the subject of parenting and employment and so forth with some standalone podcast episodes in the future. Well, folks, we hope you've enjoyed your time with us and that you have found this to be a profitable conversation. I know it's been one that has been, in my opinion, guys, this has been my favorite podcast. I mm. really feel like this was a lot of fun. Um, you know, it was, it was fun to go back and forth about these things. And I'm hoping that, uh, that you've taken something from this that is, that really can help you in a difficult situation. 
if there's questions or problems or, or you just need some help, you want to talk to one of, to one of us, to talk to Sam about it, <laughs> you can, you can, uh, you can send us an email. It's a great way to get in touch. Just send it to out of water at reavistachurch.com. Uh, that's all one, all run together like that out of water at reavistachurch.com. And, uh, and that email will reach us. Um, we will be back with the, uh, I guess more of chapter six, although we're going to jump around, uh, the, the, Children and parents and yeah. uh, employers. We'll do that later. We'll, we'll come back to that later. We got the armor of God coming. Armor of God. I'm tell you what. That that's one where I've heard Sam talk some about the armor of God before, and I intend to just go Sam <laughs> and let you go because that is that'll never happen. Well, it's true. It'll never happen. <laughs> but we hope that you will join us for that episode, and we will see you in the next one. We hope you enjoyed your time with us, and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.